at the time of the early church in the book of Acts. Um, it's quoted, and it talks about how the Holy Spirit comes on all people. It's actually very beautiful. It says this. It says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and I will show you wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon will turn to blood. But the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord will be here. And everyone who calls on the name of Jesus, on the name of the Lord, will be saved. And so when you think about your place in the kingdom of God, when you think about where you are in this church, do you see yourself as all people or other people? What I mean by this is he says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. But how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as one on whom the spirit has also uh, manifested? He's He's embedded himself into you. He lives within you. Do you see yourself as all people or do you see yourself as other? Well, yeah, that that happens with my wife, Megan, but it doesn't happen with me. It happens with with the worship team or the pastors, but it doesn't happen with me. How do you see yourself? Because if you see yourself as other people, not the all people that Jesus has declared, you've now become second class. And Jesus would say that is broken. I I wonder, do you see yourself as, as an old person? Or as a dreamer. Because what the, what the scriptures say is, it says this, it says, on your old men will dream dreams. What do you see yourself as? If you see yourself just strictly as old and my, my time is done, then you've begun to move into second class thinking. But the beautiful thing about the kingdom of God is that, that God says, it doesn't matter what your age, I'm going to give you a download from heaven. There are dreams that I'm going to continue, not just the ones of the past but that I want to see fulfilled, but there's actually new dreams coming to you that, that you are going to see happen in your life. And are you, uh, your young men will see visions. You know, we have this thing where sometimes it's us old people that we start to, to wonder about, but what about the young people? That the young people will have visions. And I, and I think we want to be able to, to say to our young people, that you are not second-class citizens in the kingdom of heaven. We gave an opportunity a couple of family services ago, and you know we're working that out, and we're trying to figure out how to do that, but we had kids coming up and, and, and giving prophecies over adults, and it was one uh, attempt to try to say, you are not considered a second-class citizen in this church. You're first-class, kids. You're first-class as our youth. And it's important because it's our identity is shaped by how we, we see ourselves, but... Also, you know, if we see uh, children and youth, for instance, do we see them as uh, visionaries? Or do we see them as simply as those that are naive and immature? Oh, yeah, I've been there. Oh, yeah, you, you know, real life will come up and it'll slap you across the face one of these days. And we, we just kind of write them off because they haven't experienced what we've all experienced. And what we begin to do is we actually begin to control them by our less than thinking. We begin to control them by our own fears. Oh, they're, they're not mature enough. They can't go out there and do it. Well, yeah, there's going to be some growth for sure, but, but Jesus has declared, the Father has declared, and he says, your young people will see visions. It's, 
they are part of the ones that says, when I will pour out my spirit on all people, that's, that's who God's talking about. And so we don't want to be able to, or to be in this place of controlling and fear, you know, by our kids by fear. Um, I remember a story, somebody uh, from a number of years ago that was at a, a Christian camp. And uh, during that camp, there was, there was worship music going on, and, and, and this person was, was really getting into that. And suddenly the Holy Spirit came on this individual, and she began to speak in a, in a spiritual language that she had never spoken before. And it came on her, and, and she was kind of freaked out, but at the same time super excited because this is something that God was doing in her life. And as she was speaking that, and as she was praying and just worshiping God in this spiritual language, a person came up to her, and I just I wrote down the words here. Basically, shut it down with false authority and with shame. Oh, just be quiet. You're just trying to make a scene here. You're just trying to draw attention to yourself. And just totally took away this beautiful gift that God was releasing. Just, I don't know what that person was thinking, quite frankly. But we have to, but I think it starts with how do we actually view one another? Do we view our young people as second class kingdom citizens? If we see them as God sees them, then we will see them as first class and we'll expect that these things will be released. And just as we need to do that with our kids, we need to also, uh, those that are young like me, (laughs) I'm holding on, (laughs) 45 going on 46, you know. But certainly, and our young people need to be careful that we don't simply dismiss those that are older than us either. Because I believe God would have us to pull on the wisdom and and the life experience and the faith of those that are older than us. And as I was thinking of this, I was was reminded of um, a fella at the birth, uh, just after the birth of Jesus, this fella's name was Simeon. And uh, I really love reading about Simeon. I'll just read it for you. It says, now, There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was, he was righteous and he was devoted. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. Your old men and women will see dreams. The Holy Spirit was on him and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Lord's Savior. And so moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents of Jesus brought him in to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took Jesus in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And I love Simeon because he is, continues to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But I, I like this phrase, moved by the Holy Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And, uh, and I want to say, uh, you know, John will often bring highlights to the gray hair in this little area right here. But, and there's, there's quite a bit of gray hair in here. And that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. But I want to say there's a, there's a spirit about this place that says it doesn't matter what age I am, whether 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, in our 90s, that we are movable. Simeon, it says, was moved by the Holy Spirit. And I just 
we want to honor today again, as we have done in the past, but we say again, and I, and I encourage you just to keep on that, that, that remain movable by the Holy Spirit, because as you do that, you prepare the way for those of us that are younger and those generations that are younger than I. Remain movable. We talked about ethnicity, about being different types of peoples. I just want to declare this this morning in terms of first class and second class, what the, what the kingdom of God is and what the Bible declares. It says that we are all children of God. This is Galatians chapter 3, through faith in Jesus Christ. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with him, and there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither someone who is slave or who is free, who is male or female, for you are what? You are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and, and you are heirs according to the promise. What Paul is saying there is that once you put your faith in the risen Christ, you become under Abraham, the father of our faith, you become part of the family. And one of the beautiful things is, is that as part of the family, then you become heirs. You have an inheritance that God is already releasing to you. He, he declares that to be so. And, and I love that because if we are heirs, then we are co-heirs with Jesus. And I'll touch on this a little bit later. But, but Jesus, as the Son of God, is ultimately our brother. We lift him high as we did this morning. We, we sing his praise because there is no one like him. And yet, he comes alongside us as a brother. And so then, everything that is his, that everything that is released to him becomes ours. And that's, that's beautiful because sometimes, you know, we, we don't um, enable that to happen because of, of things that either are done to us or things that we do to others. And we allow guilt and we allow shame to actually prevent us from walking into our inheritance. And I know we talk a lot about this. I'm just going to touch on one thing. And, uh, you know, I haven't listened to all of John's sermons while I've been away. So if, if I'm repeating something, then I trust you'll just be gracious with me. But one of the things that was revealed to me in the last little while was uh, this fellow, Kenneth Bailey, talks about the story of the prodigal son. And so that the picture over here is, is what um, is depicting this story in the Gospel of Luke, where, I'll go very quickly, there's, there's a young man who says to his dad, Dad, I want my money now. Not when you die, I want it now. So in some ways he's like, Dad, I wish you were out of the way so I could get my money. <laughs> and the father is generous, gracious with him, says, here it is, take it. And he goes away to another country and he squatters it, the Bible says, in wild living. And within um, months, he's suddenly very, very poor. He's actually eating the, he's feeding pigs, which was the ultimate shame for a Jewish boy. And he's actually starting to eat the food that he's feeding to the pigs because he's so hungry. And he comes to himself, the Bible says, and he says, how many of my father's hired servants have food and shelter, everything that they need. And here I am, I'm sitting in this pigsty, eating pig food. I'm going to go back to my father and say, Father, would you please take me back? Not even as a son, just as a servant. But this is what I want to share with you. It says that as the son returns to his home, the father sees him a long way off. And what does he do? 
We know that he runs to him. And, and this fellow points out that there's actually a, a ceremony that was done in villages that if you were a son who had taken um, uh, your inheritance and you had lost it in another land like that, that they would actually come, all of the village people would come out to you and they would take a clay pot and they would smash it and they would say, they basically they would say that you are no longer a part of our community. You are now cut off from your people and you would be totally rejected. And the father does not allow that to happen. The father sees that that is going to happen and before anybody else can get to his son, he takes off and he intercepts his son and he prevents him from coming under shame and condemnation and guilt because he knows that once he does that, he's going to be a second-class citizen for the rest of his life. The father says, no. Put a ring on his finger, put a robe on his back, and put shoes on his feet. The son that was dead is now alive again. The son that I thought was lost forever is now found. He says, guilt and shame will not prevent you from being first-class. I will take care of it. I will intercept it. And that is what Jesus has done for us. He has intercepted the shame and the guilt that would be put on us. There is no sin that will prevent us from being first-class citizens in the kingdom. All we have to do is, as the younger son did, as soon as we turn and we say, I'm going to go back to my father's house, once that's done, everything else is broken. The father will come out and meet us and break it. And there are things that we carry. There are decisions that we have made. There are decisions that other people have made that have affected us that we carry. There's things that people have done, not that we chose to have it happen, but they actually chose to do something to us. Many of us at times can carry that. And we carry it as shame and as guilt. And it is the opposite of first class. But there is only one class of children. It's first class. The reading this morning was this. It says, We give thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. Jesus has rescued us, but he has also, Jesus has qualified us to share in the inheritance that God has for us. And if there is no second-class family, if there are no second-class brothers and sisters, then what I want to say this morning is that, that we are heirs and we are co-heirs with God. If there's no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God, then I want to share this. There are no second-class gifts. There are no second-class gifts. What God has deposited in you is beautiful. What God desires to release through you is first-class. First Corinthians, it says this. This may be a passage that you're familiar, some of us are familiar with, but I'll just read it. It says, you know what? The, he's talking about the body of Christ as the church. It's kind of like the physical body. And so what, this is what Paul says. He says, you know what? The eye can't say to the hand, well, hey, I don't need you, as if you're second class. And the head can't say to the feeble, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are actually indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable we actually treat with special honor. The parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts 
need no special treatment. We're, we're coming up to summer where we're going to have a few less clothes on. Uh, but we still are going to have some clothes on. And, uh, and as I read that, I just want you to think about those parts that we cover. Not saying what they might be. But it says here, it says, The parts that are unpresentable we treat with special modesty. While our presentable parts don't need any special treatment. Now, there are times when we act like that. But what do we do with that? Do we now declare, oh, you're, that's second class? Or do we actually treat it with special modesty? Do we actually treat it in a special way? Because even when somebody's acting like that, what do we do? It's, it's not that we shun them, we actually cover them. Cover them appropriately. We cover them with grace, with love. Those are the things that Paul is saying. He says, we, But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division, but that its parts should have equal concern one for the other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Uh, you know, there's, there's times where I have to wrestle, and I don't know if you do this, but I have to wrestle with the gifts that God has given me doesn't mean that God's not going to pour out additional things in my life, but he has poured out specific gifts and, and things in my life that he's using for his good purposes to bless others. I trust anyways. And one of the, the gifts that's been identified is the gift of administration. doesn't sound too sexy. <laughs> Why not the gift of healing? How about apostleship? What about prophecy? You know, I could just continue to get a download from heaven all the time. I mean, I get that from time to time, but, you know, some of these people that have this gift, they just, they're constantly receiving words from God and they're able to dispense it to others. You know, apostleship has this incredible leadership mantle and fathering mantle that, that, that just blazes a trail for others to be able to follow. And I've got the gift of administration. And, you know, sometimes you can think about that as, we begin to, to compare ourselves one to the other. And we begin to do this. We begin to say, first class, second class. God does not do that. We just read, he says, you know, the parts that seem less honorable, we honor in a special way. I, I've been helped by this. I've, I'm, I'm receiving my healing on my gift of administration through a guy from Bethel Church called uh, Paul Manwaring. He's their guy with administrative gifts. And here's what he's uh, Here's what he said. He says, there's two things that have really blessed me. He says, one, he says, you know, the, the Moses, you know, he had the gift of administration. And Moses, you know what he did? He made, led millions of people from slavery to freedom. That sounds like a pretty good job description. The other thing that Moses did is that he actually built places where God could dwell in all of his glory. Because Moses was the one that God gave. Here's... I'm giving you, Moses, now a download of what is look my place of worship where you come together. What's that going to look like? And, and Moses oversaw all of that and, and organized the people to be able to, to create what was a tabernacle. And for me, this is actually really important. It's, it's not just a temple that is a stationary that, that is built one time for all and everybody must come to it. But he actually builds uh, a place of worship, a place where God's glory dwells that is movable. It is transportable. You can move it. When, as God moves, then the, then the place of worship goes with it. For me, that's exciting. 
Because as some of you know, I've also received a word in my life that says uh, church planting is something that God's going to do with me. And as I begin to think about, okay, so Moses led millions from slavery to freedom, and he built places where God's glory could rest that were actually movable as God moved with them. For me, that's exciting. Now, suddenly, this little gift of administration, which sounds like paper pushing and making phone calls to government agencies and all that kind of stuff, becomes something that is beautiful. And I believe that every gift that God has deposited in each one of us can be defined in similar ways. It might not be in exactly that same way, but but the gift that God has deposited in each one of us is meant to actually see freedom, to see release. And as we all work in those things together, Jesus is glorified and people find joy and find life. And so I, I really want us to be able to break this, this whole thing of, of second-class citizens because it does not exist in the kingdom of God. It says this, and we, that's all of us who have uh, surrendered to Jesus, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Who is it? It is all. All of us reflect the glory of God in the gifts that he has given. There are no second-class people, and there are no second-class gifts. We're coming to the time of communion. And uh, wouldn't you know it, at the very beginning of the early church, uh, they had first and second class. And it actually happened around the table. It was at the time when they were celebrating communion, uh, the first and second class began to be demonstrated. As we come to the table, I just want to, I want to read to you what, what Paul says to this early church. It's the church in Corinth. He says in the, uh, in the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. <laughs> we, we, yeah, anyways. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? It's interesting that we celebrate with with bread and with wine, um, as Jesus has invited us to remember. But in the early church, they actually it was a it was actually a meal together where they celebrated this. And what was happening is that all the rich people, well, you know, they didn't have to go to their nine to five, and so they're arriving at dinner early, and so they start chowing down, and they're, they're having a great old time, and, you know, actually getting drunk, some of them, apparently. And, uh, and everybody else that has to work, you know, till nine o'clock that night, because, you know, the Walmart doesn't close till nine or ten, or Canadian Tire, suddenly those people can't come to the table anymore. And when they finally get there, why everybody's already eaten everything up. And Paul says, come on, this is not the kingdom. You have to operate in such a way that there are no first and second class. He says, shall I praise you for this? He says, certainly not. But this is what he does say. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do it in remembrance of me. He says, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He says, the cup, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
Jesus' death is very much to bring us all into the same kingdom, the kingdom of the Son that he loves. And because he does that, he's made us all sons and daughters. There's no first and second class family members, and there are no first and second class citizens, and there are no first and second class gifts. And if you struggled as I have at various times, I just I want to invite you to, to be able to stand in whatever way, whether it's in your church life, in your family life, in your work life, where maybe uh, co-workers or uh, bosses have treated you as second class, in school, wherever it is that you have been. I just invite you in to, to stand with me and we're just going to pray that off of us this morning. And uh, pray on to us the declaration of truth that who Jesus is and who he's made us to be because of his work. Father, we, we look back in history, some of the significant things that have happened where peoples have been mistreated uh, here in Canada and throughout the world and even today where it continues. And Father, we pray the peace of God in those situations, the wholeness of God, the beauty of the kingdom. But Father, we also pray this morning that for, for those of us who have experienced in our lives, whether in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, in whatever relationships it might be, Jesus, that you would uh, release us from feeling second class. In Jesus' name, I just declare that you are first class citizens of the kingdom. It doesn't matter where you are in life. In Jesus' eyes, you are first class and Father, and I thank you that you are releasing, Father, your gifts uh, in this house, that you are releasing uh, gifts in people here. Uh, maybe some are discovering them for the very first time. Father, I just declare them as beautiful. I declare them as powerful because it is the same power, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the one that resides in each one of us. And because that is true, Jesus, we are all first class. Father, where we have uh, made others to feel second class, Father, we just come and we repent and we, uh, we ask for your forgiveness. But Father, even more so, I just pray that, that you would um, dwell in us, that you would live in each one of us in such a way uh, that we would be able to see uh, the excellence the beauty that you have deposited into uh, each one here and that we would be able to call it up, Father, that we would uh, know each one to be first class and their gifts to be first class and that where they can't see it themselves, Jesus, that we would be able to raise them up. Whether it be of age, Jesus, of gender, anything, Father, we just declare in your kingdom that we are all heirs and co-heirs with Jesus. And if we are heirs of the kingdom with him, Father, then we are all uh, equals in your sight. We bless you for that. And as we come to your table, Father, we, we remember that ultimately we all, doesn't matter what our gifting, what our position is in life, that we all come to the cross. And at the foot of the cross, each one of us is equal because each one of us is broken. Each one of us needs salvation. And so I pray as we receive this bread and this wine that you would use it to to. Remind us again of who we are in you.
that you paid the ultimate cost that we might be able to be bumped up, as it were, into first class. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.